Hi, everybody. This is Moshe Fried, and welcome to the very 73rd episode of the Class Stars podcast. Today, we are joined by the author of SEL From a Distance, Tools and Processes for Anytime, Anywhere, Jessica Hannigan. The big question is, how do teachers like us, who are being pulled in so many directions, with so many demands and so much to do, how do we make sure that we not only get through our lesson as planned, but also make sure that every child is noticed every day, and that each one gets the attention they need to succeed? That is the question, and the Class Stars podcast is here to give you the answer. Here is your host, Moshe Freed. We're joined today by Jessica Hannigan, who is a phenomenal educator, runs a Facebook group called Equity and Discipline, I believe is what it's called. Is that correct? Equity and School Discipline. Equity and School Discipline. Yes, yes. I'm sorry about that. Okay. And Jessica posts really, really great posts in her group. And I don't remember how I first came across it, but the first post that I saw from her which really made me just want to join the group and follow everything that she's doing was a quote that said, um, and I'm paraphrasing, is that if a kid can't write, you don't send them home and then expect them to come back to school knowing how to write. So why is it that when a kid has a hard time behaving in class, we send them home and expect them to come back knowing how to behave? And I thought that that, that really hit the mark. That really was spot on. So of course, I signed up to join Jessica's group and have been enjoying her perspective, her way of looking at school discipline ever since. Jessica, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited sure. to be here. And thank you for being such a, a great active part of our, our group. That's our, our point of uh, creating that group is to have equity-driven educators just working together, having these tough conversations, sharing resources uh, to help. Uh, our, our why, which is our students. Yes, yes. So how did you get into this? How did this get started? So originally, I was a school psychologist. So similar to you in your background as a social worker in the schools, I started noticing that I was constantly putting out fires, but we weren't making systemic changes in the school system. And that just didn't settle well with me. So I really uh, wanted to get into the classrooms, get into the leadership aspect of this work and make social emotional learning and behavior just as important as any other content standard that we are teaching in schools. So, uh, so that led me through the path of school administration. I went to that side, but I, I needed to be there too to look at the overall system and, and see what I could do to help. Um, at the same time, my husband was a principal in another district. We were doing this work together at our sites and with our colleagues. And once other colleagues started noticing that this is working, this is actually helping our students, then they took notice and it just kind of went from there. And then we started you know, training uh, schools around this work in our county and then the state and then nationwide. Um, and that's our purpose. And, and that's really our why, like I said, is our students. And we think this work is about saving lives of, um, of, of students. And um, that's what drives us. That's that's a little great. bit about our background, <laughs> my background and our background for this group. 
That's great. And it's great that you're working together with your husband and you kind of have both perspectives. You have the administrative side and the boots on the ground side that you can actually see how it's playing out. So, you know, the thing that I always think about is that, you know, obviously we're, we're coming from similar backgrounds and we have this vision where we think that if, if we can only get this vision out there, if we can get the people that are working with the kids directly to adapt this vision and adapt this perspective, it will be so drastically, so much drastically better. Um, I don't know if I said that correctly, but either way you get the point. Um, and then you kind of run into barriers. You know, it's whether teachers are not agreeing with you or, you know, for whatever various reason, you're, there's some kind of obstacle. Can you talk a little bit about that, you know, the difficulty that you had getting this in, which I'm just assuming that you had difficulty. Yeah, you know, you may not have had, you know, it could have been free flowing, you know, it could have been great. You know, some of that difficulty, and I see <laughs> a smile on your face, of course, we all have those battle scars. Um, and, you know, what were they and how did you deal with them? Tons of difficulty as we were beginning this work because traditional exclusionary practices have been so ingrained in the school systems for so many years. And so really uh, starting to peel that onion uh, really took, and it still takes a lot of grit and a lot of, uh, a lot of um, perseverance to make sure that, that we stay focused on the goal, which is our students. Uh, we had tons of difficulties when we first began and when we first uh, wrote Don't Suspend Me, which is, I think, the book that you're quoting. Um, and that was kind of our aha. You know, we were seeing the same kids constantly in the office. We were seeing teachers constantly frustrated. So we wanted to know, okay, if not suspend, what? And really, uh, our difficulties originally came uh, with the perception that don't suspend me means that we're not going to do anything. Discipline. And that's exactly the opposite of why this works. Our focus was that, no, it's not that we're not going to do anything. We're actually going to do something together collaboratively as a community of stakeholders for that child to actually change their behavior for the long term. Because we know that these behaviors are repeating and that these skills are, are there's some skills or generalization of skills that these students are struggling with that we need to teach them. We can't just say, oh, they should know, oh, their parents should have taught them. We also are in charge of the whole child when they're with us. And so we also have to teach them. And so that's, that's where that work came from. But uh, originally we even both got called in from our supervisors saying, you will suspend, you will suspend that kid. And we, uh, you know, we had to actually say no. That, that is not what the research says. That is not what's effective. That does not meet our mission and vision of our district and school. And if that is what you're saying our mission and vision is, then take out all from any statement you have on any website, handbooks, or policy in your school. And so after a little bit of you know, massaging through that together, um, it started to improve. But to be honest, uh, the pushback is also from school administrators who continue to believe that that is, that is what they need to do. And every time we ask 
why? Why is that? It always comes down to lack of support or services. Uh, it, it, it's also time and a break for the adults. And it, it really comes down to what you're doing for the adults rather than what you're doing for the students. And so we always come back with, well, they're coming back. And so what are you going to do then? And how are you going to continue supporting your teachers and as a team doing this together rather than working in silos and just keep doing what's not working? And so those are some of the big pushbacks um, is just making sure you let the teachers know that this doesn't mean it's just on them and let the admin know that this doesn't mean they're like the dictator of the school and they're just making these calls, that it's okay to pause for a minute, make sure everyone's safe, cool down and figure out as a team what it is that we're gonna do. That's restorative, reflective and instructional for that child, so. That's great, that's great. As you're talking, I was reminded of a story that I had actually a couple of weeks ago in the middle of the summer. Uh, a 14 or 15 year old boy that I work with was went away to summer camp and he has a hard time holding it together from time to time. He's got a rough family history. There's a lot going on with this kid. And he was sent home from camp. You know, he was basically suspended from camp. Uh, the director told him, I need a break from you. And I told this kid, I said, listen, I said, that's just terrible. No one should ever tell you that they need a break from you. You know, we got to work stuff out. There's no question about that. There's certain behaviors that we got to figure out. You know, it, it gets difficult at times. It's hard for you. And I've seen it firsthand because he's been in my office out of control and could be quite difficult. But, but to talk to kids that way is just terrible. And, you know, like everything that you said, it's so ingrained in the system. You know, you had mentioned earlier having difficult conversations. I was at a conference about a year ago and there was this woman that was strongly advocating for equity, uh, you know, not just in school discipline, but in, you know, across many areas. And she was telling me about how, you know, she's willing to have the tough conversations that make people uncomfortable and how just a few moments earlier they had had a workshop and 40% of the room walked out of the workshop. That's how uncomfortable they made them have it. And I said, oh, well, I don't know how productive that is if you're going to make it that uncomfortable that 40% of your audience is going to leave, you know, you need to talk to the people in a way that they're going to stay. And I think, I think you really hit it on the head with the fact that a lot of this comes down to lack of support, lack of resources, lack of time, and teachers very often, and administrators too, they think that you're attacking them. They think that you're accusing them of not doing a good enough job if they can't handle it. You know, when I started talking to teachers about, um, you know, if they're noticing certain things that I thought they weren't noticing because the kids were telling me this. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't just, my, you know, a thing that I thought of. I'd have kids come in and tell me, my teacher only notices when I make trouble, they don't notice when I'm doing the right thing, or at least they don't tell me that they notice. And I would bring this to the teacher's attention and the teacher would say, it's not true, or, you know, you know whatever it is, they would, they would just get defensive about it. And I would have to explain to them that this is human nature. You know, we're all human and none of us are perfect. And if we can work together, we can definitely get a lot done. So, you know, it, it, what you're saying really, really resonates, at least with my experience, and I hope with the broader audience's experience as well. And I think that if we can feel safe with one another, which is another thing, because so many teachers don't feel safe with, the, with their administrators, 
it's so challenging on so many levels, you know, I think that would be very, very useful. So I guess my question for you would be, knowing how fragile the relationships within the school are between the teachers and the administrators, you know, and again, you being on both sides of it, between you and your husband, seeing both sides of that, how, how can we strengthen that? What can we do about that? Well, first of all, I'm so sorry for um, what happened to that child uh, at camp because those experiences they'll remember forever. And there's, there's different ways that we could handle that type of situation and still give a break to the adult as well and not have to get to that point. And that's the whole restorative piece. Um, but I think what we see a lot is misalignment in the system of roles, responsibilities of all of the actual stakeholders in the school. So we see, we see a lot of people working in their own silos and doing great things, but not collectively looking at by name, by need, their actual school student data when it comes to social emotional behavior and needs, other than maybe sometimes, you know, looking at like monthly discipline reports or suspension reports. So we definitely see a misalignment in what is our why as a school? How are we moving the ship in the same direction? And I'll give you an example. In one district I was working with, we worked really hard to write this grant to get our amazing social workers to come be part of the school. And I love social workers, by the way. I taught some social work master's courses at Fresno State. Um, love the work that you all do and your training. So I was just so excited about it, wrote this grant with our team, got these social workers into the schools. Well, a month later, we checked in with the administration. How's it going? You know, you said you needed support. We got you a social worker. Uh, I don't really, I don't really know. Well, I'll check in. So comes back in about an hour and tells me, well, the social worker hasn't seen anyone all month because the social worker said that, you know, he reached out to some parents and, and no one responded with permissions. And so, so I said, wow, I know where I went, where, where I went wrong as I handed you over this, this beautiful resource. I didn't explain to you and we didn't work together on collectively thinking about the roles and responsibilities and the goals of what these social workers were going to do in the school and how you were going to support them and how they were going to be part of your social emotional behavior leadership team so that you're constantly taking a pulse on what everyone is doing, obviously in a confidential way in this small group that's designated for that. Now, if we would have set it up that way, then in a perfect world, the administrator would have checked in with the social worker who had been sitting in their office trying to get kids to come and maybe help the social worker reach out to these families and figure out other ways the social worker could have helped with prevention uh, during this time as he's waiting to build that rapport. And so that's just one little example of the kinds of things that are happening nationwide and even when they're getting the resources how we're using our limited resources is not aligned and so 
just wanted to share that example and also give it as a warning <laughs> of what not to do um, as you're trying to build that system. It's incredible because the systems have become so complex that you know there are there are parts of the system that are hidden and something that you know as simple as that can go overlooked and 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 you lose a month and god knows how many kids are hurt during that time that could have just so easily been prevented it's it's just terrible let's let's turn it around and focus on some of the positive things that have happened you know because of the work that you've done can you share with us some stories you know, I love those stories where, you know, you do catch something and something good happens because of the work that you've done that really, really um, highlights why it's so important. And just as an introduction, I'll tell you, I saw a post on Facebook recently that I don't even remember who it was, but it was some writer that just wrote that the reason why, I, why I'm a writer, it could have even been in your group. I don't remember off the top of my head where I saw it. The reason why I'm a writer is because my third grade teacher told me that I was a good writer and I got really excited by that. And so just realize when you're a third grade teacher, the power that you have, you know, the, the, the influence that we have on these kids are so phenomenal and we can really boost them in such amazing ways. So, you know, in that context, can you talk a little bit about your experience with that? Yeah, there are so many, so many amazing stories now with um, educators doing this work uh, with our students. Uh, but I'll talk about my boys. My, I always start with my boys. They were, this was when I was an assistant principal and um, started noticing that these, th these same boys were getting in trouble. And of course, they got in trouble during uh, Bully Prevention Week. I just want to say that again, our big bully prevention week where, you know, you, you do all kinds oh, of activities God. to teach bully prevention and that's when the fight happened. Um, but th through this experience, we as a team at our site were able to teach these boys. And in this case, they were fighting over both wanting to be quarterback, by the way. And they were being very... Um, let's say they were being supported by their teammates to engage in this behavior uh, and just going down the wrong path. So working with them, and that's kind of where this started before we even knew what we were doing, working with them started realizing, okay, the power of giving students these skills, these restorative skills, these actual um, reflective skills, these instructional uh, tools, I call it instructional, but tools, life skills. And um, what, ended up, what ended up happening is after they went through what I call like hands-off behavior academy, that's what I had called it with these boys, um, they graduated from this hands-off academy. And they came back and said, I want to help you help the younger kids getting in trouble. So even as they went to middle school and in high school, they became the champions of this work. In fact, their parents also would go talk to schools with me to just share how this was so life-changing for these boys to be given an opportunity to learn from their mistake and actually grow together and still be able to play on the same team, which by the way, they're both in college now doing great, but get, being given that opportunity really changed the path 
the path of where, you know, where they were going in school. And both smart kids needed just some help with anger and um, how they dealt with um, peer pressure. But, excuse me, but seriously, um, just changed their path for the long term. And so that's just one story because that was almost 10 years ago now. And they're successful, they're in college. And and I wanna be real, like that doesn't mean they never got in any kind of trouble. Because I trust me, I kept the tab on them uh, all the way through. Uh, but that doesn't mean they didn't make mistakes. Of course, they're going to continue making mistakes. Their brains are developing. There's a lot going on. But I will say it emphasized how much educators cared for them and that we were going to be there for them to help them and get them through the right path. And so that's just one example um, that I used because I know that there was, you know, the long-term just outcome that we all, you know, we all don't get to see all the time. But right. in that case, we did. I, I, I often think that sometimes that's one of the biggest challenges for educators, you know, whether it's the younger grades or even high school, that you don't get to see the long-term effects. It takes so long you know, when you have a second grade kid or even a middle school kid or even a high school kid who's struggling and you take the extra time out and the, you, you are, like you said, changing the trajectory of where these kids are going to end up, but you can't really appreciate it unless you run into them 10 or 20 years later. And in your case, you kept the tab on them, but, but you can do that for a couple of kids. You can't do that for the bulk of them. And, you know, that's one of the big challenges that make it you know, it's, it's always like the short-term game, gain versus the long-term game. You know, the system is set up for the short-term gain. The teachers need those good evaluations. They need to get through the day, get through the semester, you know, whatever short-term gains that they need at the expense of the long-term gains. These kids get out of school. They're not equipped to deal with whatever they need to deal with because they're lacking these very skills that cause them to struggle in school. It doesn't get easier as you get older. The real world is more demanding less uh, forgiving and and now all of a sudden it's out of our hands because these kids are no longer in school is there anything that we can do to kind of overcome that challenge i mean what do you what do you think about that as you were talking i was i was thinking about my dissertation work now it's been years. I can't believe I'm, I'm going back to those days. I just had some anxiety thinking about all that research. Um, but at the end of my dissertation work, uh, there were some just key findings that I wanted to share. And one of them, and of course, all my work was around how do you uh, implement positive behavior systems in schools that are built to last. And um, as I was, you know, deciphering through all the research and information, when you, when you, when it comes down to it, teachers in teacher school and even admin in admin school, which I teach now, admin school, maybe get one little course on behavior or how to, you know, how to respond to students with um, any type of special needs. And so really they get some class management, but they don't, get the the full training as school psychologist, a social worker, a counselor. I mean, that is our entire core of the work that, you know, we, that we do. And so I highly recommend 
I highly recommend that even in teaching and admin programs that there is actually a component of what does it look like to set up a classroom environment to support your students? What do you do when you need help? What is the difference between you know, prevention in your classroom and students who really do need more beyond you? And it's not your fault. So I definitely think that needs to be in place and for admin as well. And then gosh, I know, you know, for superintendents, district office, board members, I think everybody needs to understand that you cannot teach a child no matter um, what you think. They, you are not gonna get them to access their learning if their social, emotional, and behavioral needs are not met. And so I, I, I think I would, that's a prevention, like that's a great way to start. Uh, but then also investing and making sure that your teachers are getting the professional learning that they could actually apply without feeling like they did something wrong. That's actually doable as they have tons of other kids in their class. Uh, what, what is it that they could do in a practical but impactful way on top of everything else they're doing to get, to get their classroom to that, you know, to that positive outcome, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. One of the biggest complaints that I've been getting from teachers, whenever I would talk to them about someone that I was working with privately, was, you know, what, what should I do with the rest of the class? You know, all of these interventions that you're giving me are fantastic, but you know, I have, whether it's 20, 30, however many kids are in the class, depending on the particular situation, it's a, it's a very, very tough balance. And again, it's, <laughs> We could talk about teacher evaluations for a long time. You know, test scores are completely out of the control of the teachers. There's so many areas that are just so unclear and so vague. And all of this is even before you get into what we're dealing with currently with the whole COVID situation with remote learning, in-class learning. Today it's in-class. Who knows what will be tomorrow? I mean, we're, we're really in a crisis right now you know, on, on many, many levels, but there's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's just overwhelming for teachers, but I think that the key is really, like you said, giving them the background. And like you mentioned also, they shouldn't feel like this is some deficiency on their own, you know? They need to understand how, how it works. When I work with teachers, I try to tell them, you know, your job is not to solve every problem. You know, you have to know what your resources are. You have to know what you're capable of. And what, and when I say what you're capable of, I don't mean like as, you know, how high you can jump capable, you know, not, not like that, but, you know, maybe you can jump higher if you wouldn't do other things, but you've got to do those other things and you've got to allocate your resources efficiently, which is so, so difficult to do. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a tremendous challenge. How are you and, you know, practically, what are you telling teachers now? How, how are you doing this moving forward, especially considering the crisis that we're dealing with right now with COVID? First of all, I just want to show my gratitude to all the teachers out there, um, the majority <laughs> who have been just positive and going through everything that they're going through um, and still managing to adapt and um, help our students. So, um, that's 
number one, what I want to, um, what I want to start with, but really, I think when I, and, and I also want to say my mother's a teacher, um, John's mother was a teacher. Like we, we have a lot of respect for teachers and the work that they're doing. And I think if we have conversations with them, that's not evaluative saying that's making it even more toxic for them to be able to be in a good place to to do this in a virtual or whatever setting um, is key but when when I start with teachers I always start with the why and I give them kind of a gamut of okay I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the research I'm gonna give you some stories that are gonna tug at your heartstrings your heartstrings I'm gonna give you some of the capability Okay, whatever works for you, I need you to let that resonate because if you don't know your why, then the what and anything I'm gonna tell you at this point is not gonna matter. And I really emphasize whether you philosophically agree or not, there's been a disproportionality in school discipline nationwide for many years, specifically for students of color and students with learning disabilities. This data is telling us that we need to do something about this. And this doesn't mean it's just you and that you're intentionally trying to do this, but, but it's happening. This is what the trend is. So we need to work together knowing that this is a big part of our why, knowing that our mental health needs have just widened for the adults and students. The social emotional needs have widened. We need to work together on some practical, doable strategies in your classroom. And, and John always say what you could prevent or what you could predict, you could prevent. So if you already know certain kids are coming to you with these needs, then we need to just focus in on one or two areas at a time and use some practical strategies and to, um, help teach those skills, model them, reinforce them with our students. And that is good enough. That's where we need to start. And once student, uh, teachers start seeing that we're not just doing these drive-by, I call them drive-by walkthroughs, and now admin are doing it virtually, and I'm just begging them, please stop. <laughs> Unless you're doing it just to support. This is not the time to be doing your evaluative walkthroughs, okay? But anyway, but if, if you know, teachers know that, that we're supporting them in this work and they're seeing that, look, we thought engagement was a challenge. Now we gave them some skills. We intentionally focus on engagement with our kids. We talked about it. We just get embedded it in, in, into what we were doing. I modeled it for them. And I've noticed, you know what? Maybe not 100%, but I've noticed a 10% increase in engagement. Cool, let's celebrate that and let's keep moving. But if we get to the point where we're giving them a bunch of curriculum and we're just not explaining the why of the work and, and they're just kind of being told that SEL is a block of time instead of all day, every day what we're doing, then of course it's not gonna work. And of course they're gonna be frustrated and not feel supported. The last thing I want to say about that is as administrators, and I've 
really well and some not so well, need to take care of our And just like we're asking our teachers to do this for our students to help them feel safe, welcomed, loved, supported, we need to do that for our teachers as well. I, I, I can even add to that because when I go around talking with different teachers and uh, different administrators, and I'll show you, you know, after we finish this conversation, I'll show you some of the work that I've been doing. A, a common complaint that I mentioned earlier that there's a disconnect between the administrators and the teachers, but a common complaint that teachers would give me is that my administrator wants me to be positive with all the kids, but I'm not getting that positivity from him or I'm not getting that positivity from her so why is it that you know they can demand something from me that they're not providing? And often it's warrant, you know, often it's true. Often it's true. And, and again, when you think of the responsibilities and the demands that are placed on the admins, it's also overwhelming. Everyone is is under-resourced, I guess you could call it, you know. Yeah, it's definitely true. I, I would also add one other thing that I think will be very, very useful, and that is you know, Facebook groups like you've created. I think it's a great space for, for teachers to come in. It's completely non-judgmental. You can come in there and be validated and ask questions and get responses from like-minded educators. I think it's such a great community. You know, one of the, it's just so amazing to see how Facebook has provided this platform for people to get together and to talk and you can be anonymous if you want to be you know, you can, you can go in, out in a group where you don't know anybody and just ask your questions and you get really, really good answers, good support. So that's a great place and it doesn't cost anything. You know, it's just a great place to get together and have peer support. So, you know, and I think your group is a great place. It's, I'm really, really enjoying it. Thank you so much. And it gave us the opportunity to connect. And that's yeah. just my dream is that, um, like I said, equity educators throughout the world, if I could have it my way, are working together because this is hard. This is the harder way. But gosh, when you see that child or, or bigger child student um, find success and make improvements and you know that you are part of that growth in them it's just like i guess what a teacher would explain when a kid learns how to read and when you actually they actually master that content it is it is just it is the why it is you know why we're educators uh, to help our students they're our clients we need to help them access their education and their life and be able to use these skills beyond just you know the the classroom they need to be able to apply these skills it's just, it's worth all the work. And, and I would just say doing it together as a community at your school, taking a minute to just get back on the same page and model what you preach, like you pointed out, um, from all the areas, instead of just telling people to do it while you're not doing the same, um, just like your students, if you're not modeling it, they are not going to model it back. That's going to be the same for district office people, admin people, teachers. And so just take a minute to get back together would be my kind of takeaway if we're kind of coming to an end here to just have a conversation of what is your why? What are our intended outcomes? What are also our school goals around behavior and social emotional learning? 
And I will throw out, if you don't mind, um, our newest, well, we have, gosh, two new books out. Um, one called Behavior Solutions with Solutory. It's basically how do you function as a professional learning community with a focus on behavior, SEL, and assign prevention, intervention, and remediation. Basically, how do you work as a unit to, to, to decide what your students need? Very powerful. Our co-authors are Mike Matos and Austin Buffum. Um, and then our newest book is SEL from a Distance. This book, every educator needs right now, and it will be useful in whatever setting. Basically, we have took what we have learned the last seven months working with our schools, and we have identified tools and processes for each of the social-emotional learning core competencies and skills. And so it's not just a tool, it's a process of how you could integrate in a simple, impactful way in your classes um, with your students. And it's a game changer. And so we wanted to uh, you know, make sure we got that out to our friends as well um, to continue doing that work. So thank sure. you for letting me sure. get my sure. little shameless plug, but sure. we write- And not only that, you'll send us the links. We'll put the links in the description. Okay. The so they can... Yeah, and we'll, I'll share away the podcast too, but we, we don't write because, you know, um, we just want to put it out there. We write because we respond to the needs of our community and we want to be there in a practical way to respond with what we know works. And so it's really big for us to, to, you know, make sure that educators have these resources as well. That's great. Jessica, thanks so much for spending the time. This is great. Keep up your great work. And I'm looking forward to uh, hopefully we'll have you again on the podcast sometime in the future. And uh, keep, great, keep up the great work. It's really, really great. Thank you. You too. You are so inspiring. So thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into the Class Stars podcast. To learn more about our vision for education, subscribe to us, visit our website, take our free training, sign up for the newsletter, and follow us on social media. Join the revolution in education and become a class stars today, empowering educators one episode at a time.